There's this old Saturday Night Live sketch that you probably have seen with Chris Farley. And he's interviewing Paul McCartney. And it's called The Chris Farley Show. But the funny thing about the sketch is that the entire time, Chris Farley just nervously asks questions to Paul McCartney like, You remember that time when you were in the Beatles? Yeah, that was awesome. And that's how I felt today interviewing Brian Broderson. So you're going to hear from Pastor Brian Broderson, lead pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And one thing that you can probably hear in my voice when I'm interviewing him is how much I respect this guy. When I was a young pastor, I really struggled in figuring out how to teach. I was surrounded by with really talented guys, some of whom had been in ministry for a really long time. And most of them taught and, and preached like really dynamically with um, amazing stories and object lessons. And, 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 and then also they were just faithful to the biblical text. And, I, and looking back now, I was super blessed to be surrounded by those guys. But the mistake that I made was trying to be like those guys in how they taught. And, and I fell flat on my face when I did it. It just didn't feel comfortable. And then I started listening to Brian Broderson teach. And I started listening to how he approached the word of God, how much respect and awe and admiration he had for not just the word, but the Lord who wrote the word and how it was clear to me that the Bible and Jesus had radically changed his life. And so he's been one of the guys that over the last decade I've listened to uh, on a weekly basis. So when he agreed to do the show, uh, you know, it was, it was amazing. And so I'm so excited for you to listen to our conversation. Hopefully I don't come across as too much of a Chris Farley to his Paul McCartney. But that's how I felt. But as I talked to him, I realized more and more, this guy is just a normal guy who loves the Lord and is trying his best to be faithful. And so I think you're really going to enjoy the show. At the very end, he and I discuss how he is handling the COVID-19 crisis because he's handling it in a way that I've not seen a lot of pastors handle it. And he's doing it really, really well. Um, so I'm excited for you to listen. Make sure that you follow uh, Pastor Brian on Instagram at bbroderson. Um, check out his his show, Things That Matter. Um, all that info's in the show notes, but make sure to check that out. So without further ado, I want to get to my conversation I was honored to have with our Christian thinker for today, Pastor Brian Broderson. My next guest grew up in Southern California, where he met his now wife, Cheryl, who just happened to be the daughter of Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel movement and pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Before becoming a pastor, he worked as a plumber and a surf shop employee. Uh, and after hearing the call to pastoring, he served as pastor at Calvary Chapel Vista. After this, he and his family moved to London, England to plant Calvary Chapel Westminster, which is led by the grace of God to dozens of churches planted in and around the London area even to today. In 2000, he and his wife came home to Costa Mesa to begin transitioning into the role of pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, which he did in 2013 after the unfortunate passing of uh, the dear Pastor Chuck. He's well known for being a phenomenal teacher of the Bible while also having a huge heart for church planting and discipling the next generation of pastors and ministers to take the gospel around the world and has influenced even pastors like myself, uh, who this is the first time I'm privileged to talk to him, but it is my honor today to have on the show, Pastor Brian Broderson. Pastor Brian, thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, Jeremy, you're welcome. It is my pleasure to do it. Well, uh, for those of you who, who don't know Pastor Brian, you can follow him on Instagram at Brian Broderson, at B Broderson. Uh, interestingly enough, next week, he's going to take part in the Calvary Chapel and Calvary Global Network International Conference, which is actually an all online conference that you can take advantage of. So make sure to go to his website, to the Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa's website for more details. He hosts the popular web show and podcast, Things That Matter, 
along with hosting a radio show called Back to Basics. And his wife, Cheryl, recently started an awesome podcast, which I'm a big fan of, called Women Worth Knowing. Uh, Pastor Brian, you sound like a media magnet with all those, with all those credentials and titles. Uh, you're, you're a busy guy, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Jeremy, I got, I got started in radio um, back in 1985, uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I was pastoring in a place called Vista in Southern California in the San Diego area. And Calvary Costa Mesa purchased a radio station in Southern California called K-Wave. And so uh, Pastor Chuck Smith gave me the opportunity to start with a, a weekend program. You know, I did a Saturday and a Sunday, and yeah. that eventually grew to a five-day week. And then, you know, over the years, yeah, it's been a lot of years now. And um, we've at times, you know, been all over the country with the radio program, and then times just scaled back. Uh, we're, of course, once the internet came around, that kind of changed the dynamics for everything. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, so that's, that's the back to basics program. That's basically just my teaching program. And right. then, um, as you mentioned, the things that matter, uh, is more of an interview type of a thing like we're doing, but it's, yeah. uh, um, a video with, with a podcast as well. Yeah. And, yeah. um, yeah. So plenty of stuff going on. Thankfully, I got a fantastic team around me that, you know, make sure all of this stuff happens. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. Well, you're, you're obviously a busy guy. Most senior pastors are, but that in that intro, I mentioned your life pre-pastoring and I know, uh, just from, you know, I, I'm a, I am a Brian Broderson fan. You've been a big influence on my life. So I follow you on Instagram. So I know that you, you still surf as a hobby when you have time, but when there's a plumbing issue at Costa Mesa, do you ever roll up your sleeves and, and get in there and show off those old plumbing skills? Well, you know, I, I do it around the house once in a while. And my wife always says to me, wait, I thought you told me you used to be a plumber. How come the faucet is dripping? Why don't yeah. you fix this? Yeah. <laughs> so she actually knew me when I was a plumber, but you know, 40 years is a long time. So I I can still uh, put in a garbage disposal. I can still repair the toilet. I can still do the basic things, you know, but, uh, but putting a washer in the faucet, I don't know. It's just kind of escapes me these days. So she's got to live with the constant drip of the faucet and (laughs) well, maybe we'll get it sorted out. Our wives and home repairs tend to humble us as, as you know, guys who, putter around an office all day doing what pastors do. And then we go home and we remi- were reminded yeah. we're not blue collar guys, you know? So, uh, yeah. And thankfully my, my wife is, uh, she's pretty handy herself and okay. she is relentless. She is most persistent. So if she really wants me to do something, it, it will get done. Yeah. Well, before, yeah. option, really. before we move on, it, you know, to anybody who's listening, I, you know, sometimes pastors wives get lost in the mix, but I do want to mention to anybody who's listening, who, doesn't know about Pastor Brian. Um, his wife Cheryl is is a, is just as impressive uh, as a person to listen to in Bible teaching and scholarship. And so please check her out. Um, she's she's a, she's a great. Uh, I'm sure she's very helpful in in ministry all these years. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I couldn't live or do what I do without her. Yeah, she yeah. is really amazing. Yeah. Well, well, Pastor Brian. Um, one thing that you know, is, is integral to my ministry with all things, all people. Um, although, you know, here lately, it seems like the Lord's been giving me a a different mantle completely, but is cross-cultural ministry. And somewhat early on in your ministry, uh, you found yourself in London planting a church and that's, people don't realize that's significantly cross-cultural, uh, just because we look alike and speak for the most part, the same language. It's very different. Um, what was that experience like? And, and, and really what I want to know is, you're standing in a pulpit every week now. How did that experience planning a church in London all those years ago impact you even till this day? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me back up a little bit because London was the, it was kind of the the result of some earlier cross-cultural ministry that I got involved in. So in the, uh, in 1990, actually um, 30 years ago, just God, opened a door, really kind of a crazy story, but sent me into Eastern Europe. And I took a small team. We went in. We went in at the time to what was then Yugoslavia, which even though the former uh, 
Eastern Bloc of, of the Soviet Union had moved away just very recently from communism. Uh, Yugoslavia was still under a communist regime. And yet the Lord sent us in. We met some kids on the street. We started evangelizing, led them to Christ, knew that we had to plant a church. So planted a church, uh, crossed the border into Hungary, planted a church there, and went to the former Soviet Union, went to the Ukraine, went to Russia, started doing stuff. So anyway, I, I got real involved in that part of the world initially doing church planting. I was pastoring a good, strong church at the time. And so we were just sending teams over, you know, to do the evangelism and then raising up leadership. And uh, but so it was out of that, doing that for about five, five to six years that the Lord finally just launched me out myself. I had originally considered going into Hungary because we had planted a number of churches in Hungary, developed a lot of great relationships, and I thought maybe I should move there and continue the work. Uh, yet the Lord just, you know, through a process of things, showed me that that really wasn't the plan. And then suddenly this London thing came up on my radar. That was really unexpected. But it was um, something that God put on our hearts to do. So in 1996, my family, um, I have four children. And at the time, I had two teenagers and two kids under you know, 10. Mm -hmm. And we packed up and we moved to London. Yes. And we planted a church in central London uh, that is still there today, Calvary Westminster. We spun off a number of churches as a result of that. We were there from 96 to 2000. I, I went thinking that we were going to kind of maybe spend the next 20 years there. Right. The Lord had a different plan, you know, so that impacted me tremendously. And like you said, Jeremy, it is on the surface, you would think that what's the difference? We all speak English. Right. We, of course, have a historical connection to England as the country. Uh, I have family that originally came in the 1800s from England. But it is a different, completely different world uh, right. when you're there. Yeah. So, so we went live there. We lived that, and living in London, of course, London is uh, a very metropolitan city. So you don't only have English people speaking. Or, I mean, you don't only have English people or British mm -hmm. people. You have people from all over the world. Right. And we had the privilege of pastoring a church that uh, was made up from people. Uh, all over the place, I think about 60 different countries were represented in the church that wow. we were pastoring. So an extremely multi-ethnic, uh, multicultural group of people. And um, learning to preach outside of the American context was uh, a really, uh, it was a good thing, I think mm -hmm. now. Uh, as I look back on it now, uh, uh, of course, when you're you just grow up in one context, you have all these assumptions, and you you, know, you just navigate it that way because that's the way it naturally works. But when you get outside of your of your own culture, and you you start to realize, I got to think a lot more about right. what I'm saying, what I'm not saying. Sometimes even a biblical passage that we might look at here and think there's not a whole lot of current relevance to this passage. Quick example. Paul says a lot about idolatry to the Corinthians. He talks about eating food, sacrificed to idols and things. Uh, you know, when I would be here in America preaching on that, I'd, I'd just yeah. be talking about the ancient practices. Absolutely. So I'm in London preaching on that. And afterwards, somebody comes up to me from a Hindu background and says, oh, you just described exactly what our family does every day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who would have, who would have known that? Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, so that, that was a real uh, educational time for me. And then coming back to the U.S. after those years in the U.K., uh, I think it helped me to think uh, a little bit more broadly. And, and of course, having a radio ministry, and I do broadcast different parts of the world and specifically in the U.K., uh, I'm, I'm always thinking now when I'm preaching about not just the people that are in front of me and not mm -hmm. just the people that are in my American cultural context, but I'm thinking, okay, People from all around the world are going to hear this, so I want to, I want to think more about the way I'm going to say things. 
Yeah. Well, and that describes interestingly the footprint that, I mean, even small town pastors have most, most churches now are putting sermons on YouTube and things like that. And that's a, you, you mentioned preaching in the American context, even the American context is continually changing and, and yeah. maybe now more than ever. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's changing a lot. And, you know, it's like, um, uh, I was, I was in South America a while back and we were talking about, uh, we were in Peru and I was talking to some of the Peruvians about the traditional culture of Peru, but then the invasion of what they were calling the world culture. Mm-hmm. So it's like the world culture is taken over with the younger generation. The older generation is still part of the, um, you know, traditional culture. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a pretty interesting um, way to look at it. And yes, we have the same thing here in the U.S. We have uh, American culture, but now we have world culture. Right. That, yeah. especially with the younger generation, especially with the online generation, right? Absolutely. And, and yeah. it's definitely a difficult time, but you, like you said, you still have an influence in the UK, as you mentioned with back to basics, you preach, or you, you yeah. uh, broadcast on premier Christian radio, um, which is a really big footprint in the UK. And you're a big part of creation fest every year. Obviously this yeah. year, it seems as if it didn't happen, unfortunately, because of COVID-19. Um, it, did, it actually, we, we ended up doing an online version of it. Okay. And the online, the online version is going superbly we couldn't right. be happier about it yeah, yeah so. it, well and for those listening i think it's it's called on air with creation fest it's like a on weekly air, yeah it's a weekly presence now so yeah, yeah six weeks we're, we're the monday will be the fourth week into it yeah. okay well good well and so you have a unique perspective still as a as an american pastor who has a a, a large influence in the UK. Oftentimes Americans have a picture, American Christians at least have a picture of the state of the church in part in Western Europe as dead or post-Christian. Um, what's your assessment of that? What kind of works is the Lord doing in that part of the world? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And um, again, I think a lot of times what's happening is people are comparing it to our situation here in the States and people are reporting from a second, third hand um, source. Mm-hmm. But when you go, you realize that, uh, you know, God's doing a lot of really good things. Um, mm-hmm. The culture, as we can see, our culture is rapidly becoming more and more uh, post-Christian, sort of anti-Christian in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, and, and that's pretty much the way Europe is. But mm-hmm. it, it's almost like, if you get down under the surface a little bit deeper, you find that people are more open than you think they are because, you know, they have an assumption about the church and their assumption is based on what they've seen and they don't like it. Mm -hmm. But then when they see a different version of it, where Mm -hmm. you're just a normal person and you're loving Jesus and you're talking in in intelligible uh, language about the things of God, the Bible and so forth, people are open to that. Right. So, you know, with our festival, for example, we have, uh, you know, 10,000 plus people that come to that festival and many of them come from an unchurched background and yet they find it really, uh, you know, uh, a place that they appreciate and they've never heard the Bible taught like that before. They didn't know the Bible said that when you yeah. people are so normal, how could that be? You know, those, yeah. those kinds of things. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, in, in Western Europe and in the UK, uh, in the UK specifically, and a few of the Western European countries, Germany, uh, Hungary's more Eastern Europe, but it's, it's part of the EU. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic. And I feel that, there are a lot of good things the Lord is doing yeah. and I'm, I'm thankful for what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, we say like, well, the churches are dead. I hear stories all the time about the churches. You go to the big cathedrals and there's nobody there. Well, mm-hmm. you know, that's true to some extent, but that doesn't mean there's not a church. Right. The churches are meeting in school halls or they're meeting in warehouses or they're meeting mm-hmm. in, you know, places that we would normally think that churches would meet. They're yeah. doing the same thing in Europe, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it seems yeah. as if instead of being quick to post labels like post-Christian and dead and things like that, we should just yeah. seek to contextualize the gospel differently. It's, that's, it seems like sometimes that's that culture's way of telling us that the cathedrals might not be working anymore, uh, the yeah. grandiose ways of doing it. So it, uh, yeah, it's it's good to hear that there is hope there. Yeah, yeah. I'm hopeful. 
Well, good. Well, that then if you're hopeful, I'm hopeful because, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is, it, I think we are learning quite a bit in Amer in the American context right now. And, uh, yeah. sometimes I feel as if Western Europe's only just a few years ahead of us in, in regards to cultural change. So, um, but you know, if, if Calvary Chapel knows anything about cultural change and ministering in the context there, it's, it, they're they're good at that and and you personally are known as most of calvary chapel is for something unique within western christianity which is or at least used to be unique which is verse by verse expositional teaching and for those who, who are listening and don't understand that um most calvary chapel churches historically have preached in some form or fashion verse by verse genesis to revelation and i remember in college i went to a calvary chapel in my college town and i was just blown away by this it you know, I, what a simple but yet revolutionary way to do it. And yeah. uh, as I told you when we first started talking kind of in our virtual green room before we pressed record that when I became a pastor, um, I struggled greatly in learning how to teach, uh, imitating the guys around me that I thought were really exciting and dynamic storytellers and all that. And I just wasn't, I just wasn't good at that. I, you know, I'm not the most yeah. exciting guy. And, um, and I found a lot of hope in listening to men like you and you know, you are entertaining, you are interesting, but I I've always seen in you that you don't try and be anything that you aren't. Did you ever, whether it was early on in your ministry or even still today, do you ever struggle with feeling as if uh, I'm not entertaining enough or I need to try and be something that I'm not? Yes. Um, <laughs> er, in the early days, for sure. You know, because you're still trying to figure out who you are as a, as yeah. a preacher and, um, and, and, you know, I, I grew up in ministry around a lot of dynamic guys as well. And mm -hmm. I had my moments where I would try to sort of almost in, imitate them, not in yeah. a bad way, but just like, man, you know, they're dynamic, they're, uh, they're funny. Yeah. They're, they're all of these things that I don't see myself as naturally mm -hmm. being. So I would, I would try to do that. And I could pull it off a little bit, mm -hmm. but yet at the same time, my default mode would always be to just go back to who, who I am. Right. And there finally came a point, thankfully, where the Lord just made it clear to me, look, Brian, I actually created you this way, mm -hmm. and it's okay that you're this way. So just develop who you are and don't worry about trying to be somebody else because I already right. created them and, and mm -hmm. I gave them those gifts and I'm, yeah. I'm going to use you, you know, in a different, uh, yeah. with a different group of people. And sure. so, um, yeah. And to, do I struggle with that today? Not so much really, because after all these years now, I, I pretty much know my strengths and weaknesses. You know, mm -hmm. once in a while, somebody will contact me, they'll hear about me. They say, Hey, we're doing this event and we, we're looking for a speaker and we'd love you to come. And I think, well, let's talk about that for a moment, you yeah. know, it, because it sounds like you're looking for a dynamic voice and maybe I'm really not the guy for the job. Let me recommend a couple of friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll kind of send them down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, sometimes they'll say, no, no, we, we want you. So yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, pastor Chuck was always, such a tremendous um, blessing to so many uh, because he went through those things in his younger days in pastoral ministry. He was trying to be the quintessential evangelist, or he was trying to, to be that dynamic preacher that he had grown up watching or that mm -hmm. people thought you should be right. uh, if you were going to really you know, be successful. And, and he had that point in his own life where he came to realize that that's just not who God had made him. Right. And what Chuck did for me and, and hundreds of other guys showed us that it's okay to just be yourself and let God work with who he made you. Right. And, and I'm, re I'm really thankful for that. Well, as am I, because I think it's a lesson that we could all learn. And you mentioned Pastor Chuck. He himself was a very gregarious guy. He, he didn't need to try and be showy or anything. He, he seemed very exciting. And yeah. so I'm sure following up, there was, there was a little bit of difficulty in, in filling his <laughs> shoes. Um, yeah. You know, but something you said as far as, you know, the Lord designed us the way that we are. And so if there's a yeah. pastor, teacher, any form of minister listening to this, um, this was a, a, something you said that years ago in a, in a sermon about the gifts of the spirit that made a tremendous impact on me personally. And you said the Christian faith has and always will be supernatural. And it seems like such a simple statement, something that we all probably know theoretically, but difficult to implement into our teaching. Yeah. 
and you yourself being a devoted student of the word, expositional teaching sometimes can seem, I guess, and it probably is sometimes at its worst, a, a man effort, right? It's, it's easy to just make it about what the Greek says and these things, but uh, I've always seen in you a tremendous effort to make expositional preaching and leave room for the supernatural. Has that been difficult for you to leave room for the Holy Spirit in this context of teaching verse by verse? Yeah, no, it has not right. really, because I, um, you know, for a number of reasons, I have had a kind of a lifelong ministry long need to depend on the spirit. Um, you know, some of it's just knowing naturally that I'm not the most gifted guy, like we already talked about. I'm not like some dynamic, charismatic sort of a person. So, uh, man, if, if, if all I have to offer is me, then we're not going to get too far down the road, mm -hmm. but under coming to understand in the early, uh, in the early days, the necessity of the empowering of the spirit. Then on top of that, uh, I battled with chronic illness for a number of years, a couple of decades, which really limited me in a lot of ways and forced me even to a greater dependence on the spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I have, um, you know, I, I have learned to lean hard on the Holy spirit, knowing that that's not um, a bad thing. That's right. actually a good thing. That's right. actually what we see in the scriptures happening. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we think of the, the brilliance of Paul. We think of his, great abilities and so forth, but he speaks of his weaknesses and right. he speaks of the fact that uh, his sufficiency was not in himself. His sufficiency mm -hmm. was from Christ and so forth. So those are things that I have really taken to heart and yeah. uh, learned over the years and practiced. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if there's, if there's any pastors or teachers, anybody learning to study and teach the word, what I've even just heard you say, but I've seen in you and men like you is, the text is enough. It, it, the, we don't need to add or try and make the words of the Bible more exciting. Um, sometimes we can make yeah. them contextualize different, but but we don't. Yeah. There's nothing we can really add to the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is. Yeah, the Bible is sufficient of yeah. itself. And yeah. when you add the combination of the Word and Spirit, which I think is the way it's always supposed to be then you have, you know, the spirit of God taking the word of God and bringing it to the hearts of people. You can't get any better than that. I mean, right. that is the, I think that is the essence of what preaching is, is meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. So other than just out of curiosity, really, other than pastor Chuck, were, the, were there any pastors, teachers that, that made a big impact on you early on? Yeah, I was, um, I mean, I was directly influenced by pastor Chuck you know, being under his ministry, but I got deeply into through reading. I got deeply into guys like probably the top of the list for me was always uh, Martin Lloyd Jones. So right. I was a big Lloyd Jones fan. I read most of his works over the years. Uh, I was able when I lived in London back in the cassette days, I was actually able to purchase his entire library. So wow. I, I had the entire online uh, or the audio. And now, of course, you can get that on like a thumb drive or something. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But Lloyd-Jones was a, was a huge influence for me. And um, a number of other commentators, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I, I kind of gravitate toward the British. Uh, John Stott was another right. big uh, influence for me. In maybe the last 10 years or so, uh, Tim Keller has become quite an influence. I really appreciate Tim uh, immensely. Um, uh, Ray Ortland, if you know who uh, yeah, Ray Nashville. Ortland is. Yeah, Ray's a tremendous scholar, and he's a great preacher, and mm -hmm. uh, he's a friend. And I, I really, you know, in, in these days, really, probably Tim and Ray are, uh, as far as that, they're a little bit older than I am. and um, there are guys that I would sort of, you know, look to still, still today. Yeah. But I'm still, I still have my, uh, you know, my favorite commentaries that I'll go back to. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm teaching Colossians right now. Actually, when right. we're finished, I'm going to, I'm going to go preach a sermon when we're finished because starting this Sunday, we're doing 
live services on our field and we're still doing all of our online stuff. So I got to preach my online message today and then, you know, back on Sunday to preach it live. Yeah. Uh, N.T. Wright, I'm, I'm enjoying N.T. Wright. Um, I'm using his Colossians in his uh, little series through the New Testament. So, yeah. yeah. Well, one more thing I like about you is just the, pretty much everybody you just named is, is over on that bookshelf right over there. So, uh, which I remember, uh, same thing, listening to you talk about what commentaries you use and you said, John Stott. And I had, you know, and of course in Bible school, you read cross of Christ and things like that. And I remember yeah. going and getting commentaries by John Stott because you, you recommended them. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, I mean, those are, those are guys that we, we should all learn from, even if they're not necessarily our, our style by any means. And, and right. of course yeah. in this, in this season, I'm sure you, like the rest of us are praying for, uh, Tim Keller as he's oh my fighting gosh. cancer. Um, yeah. And so. Yeah. And you know, he's, um, I have a really close connection with Tim through my son-in-law who worked mm-hmm. for Tim for years yeah. and uh, is still a, a close friend. So yeah, we've been, uh, every day he comes up on my feed and every mm-hmm. time, every time I see him, I just say, Lord, heal yeah. this man. We need this man. Yeah. And, you know, just asking for God to touch him. Yeah. Yeah. As have I. And so uh, let's, I mean, to all listeners continue to pray for him, but you know, so we, we mentioned Calvary chapel and, um, it has a unique background that anybody who's listening can look up. Um, and, it, and it's really a fascinating study in, in American church movements really. Um, but you said something really interesting, defining Calvary chapel one time in an interview in 2016 with, uh, Ed Stetzer's group, uh, on Christianity today, you said, it seems that non-charismatics, think we're charismatics and charismatics think we're non-charismatics or the Baptists think we're Pentecostal and the Pentecostals think we're Baptists. And, um, you know, Calvary Chapel, I think what appealed to me when I was young in my faith and in college was Calvary Chapel never really sought to define itself as one side or the other felt very comfortable being uncomfortable, uh, in the middle. And then a couple years ago, there was, um, you know, a shift uh, you led a group, Calvary Global Network, to continue church planning and and um, maybe do things a little bit differently than Calvary had historically done. Um, but uh, you, ultimately, when you look at the history of Calvary Chapel and and even still today, that middle like we're not going to define ourselves. But ultimately, Calvary Chapel started and was shaped by seeing a need among young people. And you hear all these amazing stories of Pastor Chuck you know, changing the way he said things and did things to welcome these young surfers and these hippies from the beaches into the churches for Bible studies. And when they weren't willing to come in, he would go to these, you know, coffee shops or bars or the beach to do Bible studies. And when I look at the world today, we need to be doing ministry more and more that way of just, because we have a young generation coming up that is disenfranchised and feels rejected by the church. And, and what I see in you and I see in like, you know, guys, like some of the ones we just mentioned, and then even a younger generation of church planners that you're trying to raise up, how can we as pastors and, and leaders of churches emulate what Pastor Chuck did all those years ago with so many young people today having a disdainful view of the church without sacrificing the truth of the gospel and the word? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Chuck, Chuck was interesting because he didn't become a hippie. You know, yeah. that that's something that I think is is a good point to make because sometimes I think guys try too hard. Sometimes I think mm-hmm. they try, well, we got to reach that younger generation. So I've got to become a hipster or I've got to become this, you know, type of a yeah, person. Change the way I dress you know, Chuck, and all that. Yeah. Chuck, I mean, Chuck really was himself. He, he changed a little bit. I mean, he did grow his hair out a little bit longer during those days and his sideburns and so yeah. forth. But, um, you know, I think when, I think myself and others, when we look back on pastor Chuck, I think the two things that probably stood out were number one, his love. He just loved you. And uh, number two, he taught the Bible in a way that was very um, straightforward and it was simple. You could understand it and it was meaningful to your life. And I, I think that today, I think it's really the same kind of stuff. You know, we taking away all of the glitz and glitter. I think people, People need to know they're loved and people need to know what God's word says. And I think if we're faithfully doing that, 
and, and you know, in the end, we've got this history known as the Jesus People Movement. We've right. got this whole great uh, work of God that occurred back in the 70s and, and on through quite a period of time. But we do have to remember it was an extraordinary work of God. It wasn't mm-hmm. because Chuck discovered some principle or some, you know, he got the secret of how to do it. Right. God was doing something that Chuck just got sort of swept up into. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife likes to say my dad stumbled into a revival. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really, you know, I mean, I'm all for strategies and those kinds of things, but we have to remember that unless the Lord really does something, um, you know, our best efforts are just going to be that they're just going to be what, right. what we can do. Yeah. And so out there in Southern California, um, you know, do you see the Lord working in a, in a new and fresh way among a younger generation? Um, I know, uh, all around the country, we have, you know, we we're in a huge country and so it's different yeah, everywhere correct. and there's different pockets. And so, but out there in Costa Mesa, is there, is there a hunger among young, young generation that maybe a lot of people just aren't paying attention to because of what's going on in society? You know, um, yes. And not as much as there could be, or I think should be. And I would even say will be, Yeah, I, I think the Lord's preparing for something. Mm. I do. I believe that. Um, and we are seeing, you know, there's some good positive things happening. Yeah, absolutely. And there, you know, all around the country, there's some great churches full of young people who are excited about the Lord. I was talking to my 19 year old grandson yesterday and he, he grew up in New York city. Uh, he just recently moved to Jacksonville, Florida, hasn't even made any friends yet because he's right. been there just for such a short period of time. There's no church to go to because mm-hmm. of COVID. Yeah. Uh, he can't get a job because of COVID, his yeah. school. He goes to college in New York and you know he's got to do his online thing. So anyway, he was saying to me, he said, you know, man, my generation of people, they're just so many are, they're so far from having any interest in the things of God at all. And I mean, it was a great conversation because he was telling me how he's feeling the Lord's calling him into a deeper commitment, but he was sort of lamenting like, you know, how, how do my friends get reached? How does my generation? And I, and I just told him, I said, you know, listen, it's something that God has to do, Mm -hmm. but it starts, it starts with individuals. Yeah. So you let God do all he wants to do in your life and he's going to use you. He's going to yeah. use you to touch another life and then that life will touch another life. And it's like a chain reaction. So uh, I think we're not there yet, but I'm again, I'm hopeful. I yeah. believe that God has something and I do see, I do see some good things happening. Yeah. And part of that, I know for, for you personally, one of the things that you do to help address that future generation and the ones after that is being a leader in church planning. And I know that as you know, we've already covered church planning is near and dear to your heart. So what is, um, and, and I know personally that your son-in-law is planning a church. It is, you know, that, what a difficult time to plan a church right now, by the way, um, with COVID. But um, so what is Calvary, what is the global network doing as, as far as is church planning and what's the vision there? Yeah. So, so with Calvary global network, now Calvary chapel, has been a church planting ministry from the get-go. Very and much so. Un- interestingly, though, it wasn't uh, with a, a real intentionality. It, in some ways, it almost just sort of happened. Mm-hmm. And um, but but a few churches in the movement went with more of an intentional. Uh, approach to church planting. And so you will find that a lot of the Calvary chapels that exist today, uh, you can trace them back to a handful of other Calvary chapels that just had that vision, you know, for church planting. And my, I happen to be involved in that myself. So with the global network, we're just taking what pretty much what I've been doing for all these years and making it just broader. So it is now, across the network, it's more intentional when it comes to church planting. So, and when I say intentional, I'm talking about um, 
not just sort of stumbling into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> church. Hey, I started a home Bible study, didn't really have a plan. Right. And then it grew and became a mega church, although that did happen. Um, so we're saying, okay, no, we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to target a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to give uh, um, some training. We're going to network people together. We're going to build a team. And so a lot of the guys in the, the global network want a more intentional approach to church planting. And right. so that's, that's one of the things that we're doing. Right. Is there any regions in the States or even worldwide that you're, you're seeing movements or, or you're targeting? Um, yeah, we haven't, you know, again, we had a long season of European church mm-hmm. planting types of things, but as time goes on and now, so we've been doing church planting in Europe for 30 years. Right. So of course, as time goes on, you recognize that the, the numbers of people from the U S that we're sending over have decreased for various reasons. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons is we're raising up nationals, which yeah. is what we always wanted to do in the first place. And churches are being planted out of the uh, European or the, the British churches, which is fantastic. But secondly, uh, immigration in a lot of places is much more challenging than it used Absolutely. to be. You know, to get a to get a visa to go in and do stuff, sometimes uh, that's just not possible where it used to be a fairly easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, around the country, are uh, you mentioned my my son-in-law Mike? Uh, he just come out of Redeemer in New York City, and now he's gone down. Um, with the Orthodox Presbyterian church to Jacksonville. So he's in the process right now, like mm-hmm. you said, very challenging time to be planting a church. Absolutely. But that that's what he's doing right mm-hmm. now. So yeah. um, I've got it, you know, close to home, right with family members. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my oldest son is a church planter. He's been pastoring his church now for several years. Actually him and Mike planted the church together years ago. Okay. And, um, and within our network of guys, um, what we, what we do, Jeremy is, you know, it, it kind of happens where you get a church planted and because the planter is a, is a visionary church planter, then he instills that in the people around him. And then they start looking to send out people there, you know, yeah. from that work out mm-hmm. into the, the, the vicinity and then yeah. beyond that. Yeah. Right. So Chuck used to have a great, way that he would describe it, you know, like there's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So Jerusalem, uh, they send somebody out uh, to the ends of the earth, but then that, that now becomes a Jerusalem. Right. And that Jerusalem starts working on its uh, Judea and Samaria mm-hmm. and then so on, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And, and with, with church planting, with the global network, we, you know, the crazy thing is we have about, we have over 1500 requests for church plants. Wow. It's hard to uh, raising up guys to, to actually meet the request. That's the yeah. challenge. And, yeah. And I think that happens best in the context of the local church. Sure. So, you know, we have a Bible college, we have training, we have all of those different things. We have a seminary connection with Western uh, seminary that we guys can get training through that. Mm-hmm. But we encourage the local churches to hey, raise up people right there within your midst and see what the Lord's going to do from where you're at out yeah. into the world. Yeah. Well, and it really is a beautiful thing. And it obviously shows that you have a heart for the gospel reaching you know, places that are vastly different than Southern California um, and might not even be the most exciting places to plant churches. Um, And so we, you know, we need to see those requests met certainly by, by people who feel called. But, you know, one thing that is certainly difficult at the moment for pastors, but not even just pastors, but just Christians in general. And I think before I, I let you go, I'd be I'd be crazy for not talking to you about the difficulties we're facing with COVID-19. And you have somewhat notably out there in Costa Mesa, where in California, the reg- the restrictions on churches have been more restrictive than they are maybe in where I live yeah. in North Carolina. And you have 
you know, it's very evident to me that you have been uh, tried to be very discerning in how you follow these regulations and then how you pastor your people in respecting governmental authorities, but also not uh, betraying the faith. And even in California, there's some other pastors who very notably are doing things very different than you (laughs) Um, and remaining open and meeting live. And so could you just speak for a minute? Like what, you know, cause uh, most Christians right now are having a very difficult time navigating respect for governmental authorities, but faith to the, Mm. you know, to their church. And so can you kind of speak to what's going in your heart? Yeah. Well, you know, Jeremy, I can say this. Um, I I am so thankful that from the get go, the Lord gave me a very clear word on, on what was going on and what, um, how I was to navigate it. And basically to simplify it, what was going on is a, a sovereign thing. God, God is sovereignly doing something that we can't control. Mm-hmm. And I thought of those words of Paul, uh, writing to the Ephesians or the Colossians and referring to himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul, if you look at it, he's really a prisoner of Caesar Nero. But he he just looks completely beyond Caesar. And he Mm. says, no, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Paul understood that there was something God was sovereignly doing that he had no control over. So he just needed to go with it. And Mm. as I was wrestling through the early days of the COVID thing, just like anybody else, uh, the frustrations and all the contradictions that were coming our way and and the demands and all of this, I was, you know, I, I was not enjoying it, to say the least. But thankfully, the Lord really intervened and just spoke to me. He said, Brian, uh, you're my prisoner right now. And just, I want you to just trust me through this. And it was funny because, you know, it started off with COVID. Then it went into the whole race, race issue and yeah. the rioting and the protest. And, and again, the Lord just sort of stepped back in and said, this is all part of it. I, I, obviously, I knew everything that was coming. So what I gave you to begin with, is what I want you to just stick with. So to this day, uh, I'm sticking with that plan. And the plan has been to, to comply with the authorities uh, unless they tell you to do something that I have told you in my word uh, not to do, or they tell you not to do something that I have told you to do. So mm-hmm. although COVID has brought a ton of restrictions and inconveniences and difficulties to us. I personally do not believe it, uh, that there has been a crossing of the line to where there's been any mandate from any governmental authority that would, that is in conflict with what the scriptures tell us. Sure. I think Romans 13 is still there. And I think that that's what we are to abide by unless that line is crossed. So for me, the line hasn't been crossed. Now I know for others, they feel like the line has been crossed. And so that's why they're responding the way they're responding. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, again, I I think that, you know, having lived out of the country, having traveled around the world, um, we, we still have it pretty good in the U S yeah. And, you know, when people are, are kind of crying foul and they're crying persecution, I think, well, I don't really think this is persecution. I think it's the wrong way to view mm-hmm. it. It's inconvenience for sure. Absolutely. But maybe as Christians, we need to be inconvenienced because apparently we don't do too well with <laughs> inconvenience. So yeah. maybe it's an area where God wants to work on us. So, yeah, yeah we've gone from, you know, we went from... um here in California, originally, all of a sudden it was, you can only meet with 250. Then a day later, you could only meet with 100. Well, we have yeah. a church of several thousand people, so we're not going to. So we just said, okay, what are we going to do? So we ended up going online. We were online for three months to yeah. the day, just strictly. That was our church. It was online church. God helped us navigate it. God helped us get around the issues. He taught us a ton of things in the midst of it. Then things started to open up again. We were able to have uh, in-person meetings with 100 people. We have a large campus, so we could spread people out around the campus. We get about 800 people on our campus. And we're rolling along with that. Then suddenly they say, oh, we don't want you to sing because yeah. of this, you know, the virus being spread that way. Mm-hmm. And th- there's all kinds of 
debate about the validity yeah. of these things. And I, I get all of that, but I thought, you know what? We can be creative. We're going to, yeah. let's just see how the Lord wants us to navigate it. So yeah. I got together with our worship team. We decided, Hey, let's, let's, let's do things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So rather than congregationally seeing, we're going to, we're going to walk through a Psalm together. We're going to yeah. say the Lord's prayer together. We're going to have a musical background, but mm-hmm. we're not going to, we're not going to congregationally sing. So yeah. we, so we did that. We navigated that. And then shortly after that, oh, no indoor services anymore. So you yeah. got to go everything outside. Okay. So we moved outside. Now, granted, we, we have the ability to move outside, right. but it's still an inconvenience and it's still right. uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I don't like it. And it's a ton of work. I mean, I have a ton of work to do. So this coming weekend, um, which we're going to now move uh, onto a field that we have where we can get several hundred people. And for the the immediate future, our church is now going to be both online and it's going to be in person on the field, church on the field. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. And today, just this morning, just to let you know, one of the churches here in California that's been pushing back hard against the government regulations, they were just slapped with a restraining order from the court in their yeah. county. And not only are they prevented from meeting in their church, which they have been doing, they are now prevented from meeting, period. So they cannot even meet outdoors as a uh, repercussion of their resistance to mm-hmm. the, the county orders. Mm-hmm. So I think they kind of shot themselves in the feet Mm -hmm. by, you know, they had outdoor space to meet. They could have used it. They could have just gone with the flow, but they pushed Mm -hmm. back against it. And now they've lost even that uh, opportunity. Well, and it's unfortunate all around, obviously as, as Christians and, you know, we don't desire to see anybody to be put in that type of position, but uh, I've appreciated your leadership throughout this situation. I think, um, you have been handling things well. I'm sure it's very difficult in the privacy of your own mind and heart trying to navigate this. And, you know, there's a lot of people who yeah. trust you and listen to you. So that's difficult. I know for, I mean, to a, a smaller scale, I'm, I'm going through the same thing as a pastor myself. And so, um, yeah. but pastor Brian, um, you know, you, you're, you're a great example for, for pastors, not just, not just, uh, pastors, but Christians in general, what a life of faithfulness looks like. And, and I hope that, uh, you know, you're blessed with many more years of being able to speak into young Christians like me, or I'm not so young anymore, but, um, but Christians <laughs> like me. And so, um, but so thank you so much for what you do, who you are, who you allow the Lord to be. And thank you for doing the show today. And, uh, just hopefully sometime soon we can do it again. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy, for the opportunity. And it's uh, really great to see you face to face to meet you. And I look forward to actually meeting you in person. One day when, uh, Lord willing. when the, when COVID is just a memory. <laughs> well, yeah. Lord willing one day. Right. Um, yeah. so, but thank you so much, Pastor Brian. You're welcome.